to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, where we'll hear the Old Testament lesson for this morning. We're continuing in our series on the promise. As we revisit the promises made through the prophets, the holy words from God that created the sense of expectation in a world that was waiting for a Savior and that can remind us what it is that we are truly and rightly waiting for in this season of expectation. Here now from the book of Isaiah. A shoot shall come up from the stock of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of the asp. The weaning child shall put its hand into the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're feeling really broken what someone said to me a couple nights ago, one of the many who have been grieving in our church this week. I wonder if you have been there. I wonder if you know that feeling. I expect most of us have known that feeling of being just just broken, feeling of not being just sad, not just disappointed, not worried or angry or confused, but broken. Broken is when there is a fundamental rupture in the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves. So we feel entirely disconnected for a moment from who we were or from who we thought we'd be. There's an old hymn whose chorus says, forward through the ages in unbroken line, move the faithful spirits at the call divine. And that is how we would like faith to work. In an unbroken line, where one thing leads to another. Specifically, We'd like to go from one triumph to another, to go from strength to strength, like a story with no tangents or diversions, a story where every single word and action brings us closer to the end. But sometimes the story breaks. Sometimes we come to a point where we don't know what to do next or what to say, a place where our voice breaks and the story goes silent. The story that the Israelites had been telling themselves for more than 700 years at the time of Isaiah 
was reaching a breaking point. The story about how they were God's chosen people, how God had given them the promised land, how God would be with them forever and their kingdom would never fail. But Isaiah was one of the first prophets to warn the people that that story could not be taken for granted. The book of Isaiah that we hear from today warns of a day when Assyria will conquer the northern tribes of Israel and scatter them throughout the known world. And then after that, the southern tribes will be sent into exile by the power of Babylon. And as he describes this, Isaiah does not say that these will merely be hard times. It's not just a bump in the road. No, what Isaiah describes is a fundamental breaking, a crack in the story. When Isaiah begins to describe what is coming, in chapter 6, he puts it this way. He says, the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. The houses are left deserted, the fields ruined and ravaged. The Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tent remains in the land, it will again be laid waste as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down. The land is empty. The fields ravaged and ruined. The trees are raised down to stumps. If the people come back and settle in the land again, even if they build houses again, it won't be the same. A crack has entered into the story. Whatever happens next will be fundamentally disconnected, different, somehow unlike what came before. And when a crack enters into your own life story, you suddenly find yourself seeing what Leonard Cohen once called the crack in everything. Everything seems changed, even things that used to seem totally normal, like in normal life. It's perfectly normal that a lamb fears a wolf. That's just the way that it is. But when you are Israel and you have been preyed upon by every wolf nation at your borders, when you begin to live in that kind of constant fear, you suddenly start to feel sorry for anyone or anything that has to live in that kind of fear. What seemed perfectly normal just seems wrong. And it's all well and good. For someone to say, don't judge a book by its cover, but we know that in normal life, that's exactly what we do. Because it's a really helpful thing to do. We judge books by their covers. We judge movies by their trailers and their posters. And it does a lot of work for us. We have gotten really good at deciding in a moment whether or not some book or movie or something in the world is our kind of thing or if it's for somebody else. But then when you've been judged like that, when someone has looked at you and decided in an instant that you are too old to understand, too young to be wise, you begin to feel how much we lose when we look only for our people. Maybe you're in a relationship where your words have been misunderstood or twisted out of context, where it feels like Every word that you could possibly say is somehow going to make things worse. Maybe you felt yourself thinking, if they could just hear my heart, and then you've realized that they can't. And you've seen the crack that goes between all human hearts. That sometimes feels like a chasm. Maybe you've wondered if we ever really understand each other. 
If you've been there, then you have perhaps wished that you could have a friend like the king who's described in today's passage. Someone who will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but who will instead see the world with righteousness. When one part of our story breaks, it can suddenly seem as though everything is broken. And that's the possibility that Isaiah contemplated as he prepared the people of Israel for the looming disaster. Isaiah looked around him and he said, even if we could go back to the life before the exile, that wouldn't be enough. Isaiah says, we need a world where the poor receive justice, where rulers choose righteousness over control. We need a world where not only friends, but even enemies enjoy each other's company, where the wolf lies down with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. We don't just need a return to the promised land, we need to restore it to something we've never seen before. Isaiah has begun to see the crack in everything. According to legend, nearly 500 years ago, there was a Japanese shogun who dropped his favorite ceramic teacup. It was a priceless object. There were only six kilns in all of Japan and even fewer artists who were capable of creating such fine ceramic work. And rather than throwing the cup away, the shogun gave it to an artisan and asked if it could be repaired. The artisan took the cup and considered it for a long time before deciding that he would glue the broken edges with a local tree sap that might hold up to the rigors of everyday use. But the artisan knew that the cracks would still be visible. So before he applied the glue, he mixed into it a generous portion of pure gold dust. And as the artist brushed the edges of the broken cup and then fitted them together, the cracks did not disappear. If anything, they became more visible than ever, but they shined with pure gold. The cup on being repaired, became even more valuable than it had been before it was broken. And that art of repairing things in gold became known as kintsugi. To this day, it is a high art in its own right. In Alcoholics Anonymous, kintsugi bowls have become a favorite gift for someone's recovery anniversary. A visible reminder that the break in their story was not its ending. And the promise of Advent... Is not just that God will bind what is broken. It is the promise that he will restore it with something more valuable than we can imagine. It is the promise that he will put himself in the broken places. That he will be the gold in between, living within the crack that runs through everything. That he will hold together all the things that we cannot, and he will hold it all together with the most valuable thing that we can imagine, his own life. Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, the resurrection means everything sad is eventually going to come untrue. And it will somehow be greater for once being broken and lost. We don't know how exactly that can be true any more than we know how a lion will eat grass or a goat will befriend a leopard. We don't know how, but we know who. We know who will do it. We know our God is a God of restoration. And whenever the scriptures tell us about the new creation, 
this is what they mean. They mean that the new creation is a restoration. It is both the world that God intended at the beginning of creation, and it is also something more. It is something that only God can accomplish because only God has the strength and beauty and goodness to hold together the crack in everything and make it shine. We are waiting for the new creation because only God can make it happen. We cannot make it happen. But there are, however, two ways that we can miss it. There are two equal and opposite temptations that can cause us to miss out on the restoration God intends for everything. The first is our temptation to replication. When we choose replication instead of restoration, we are being tempted to simply go back to what was before. Replication would have been that shogun demanding that his artisans create a teacup just like the one that had been broken. It's always a fool's errand. Replication is when we try and fix our own brokenness by trying to live the way that we did before we saw the crack in everything. Or replication is when we think that our healing will come by imitating someone else, someone whose life seems unbroken, someone whose cracks we cannot yet see. For Israel, the temptation to replication came every time they said, everything would be better if we just did it like the other nations. If we had a king like the nations. If we worshiped the gods of the other nations. If we just could live a little bit more like them, everything would be as it was. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I know that temptation all too well. I know the endless temptation to look at another church or another preacher and say, maybe I could get past all this. Maybe my problems would go away if I just talked a little bit more like that. If I just tried to do what they are doing, maybe the key is to have the right role model or hero to be a little bit more like them. Anything to convince myself that there was a time I did not need Jesus or that there will be a time I don't. Replication is when we chase over the false perfection of our past or a rose-tinted memory of someone else's perfection rather than accepting and surrendering to Christ's present work. The second temptation we face in a broken world is the temptation not of replication but of replacement. Replacement would be a Japanese shogun saying, ceramic cups might be beautiful, but they are so fragile, I'll never use one again. Only gold for me from here on out. Imagine where humanity would be if God had chosen to replace us. It said they are too fallen, too broken, too fragile. Replacement is the temptation to move on, to forget to put our hope in something entirely cut off from all that we have known. For Israel, the temptation to replacement came when they were allowed to return to exile. If they had said, no thanks, we have found a new land and we like it better. For us, the temptation to replacement is the temptation to simply abandon those who are broken or to walk away from our own brokenness in our relationships. We are tempted to replacement when we'd rather devote more time to seeking a new friend than making things right with an old one. We are tempted to replace our story with an old one, to just forget everything that came before. We are tempted to replacement when we avoid what we once loved. 
because it is too painful or too difficult. Replacement is when we chase after the false perfection of a future fantasy, even as Jesus is trying to heal our present reality. But in Isaiah, God was telling the people of Israel that he could never replace them. Nor could he simply replicate what they had been with all the cracks that they never noticed until they broke. And in Isaiah, God is reminding us today that his promise of restoration still holds true. When the world seems most broken, he is there in the crack in everything. He is the green shoot rising out of the stump. He is the buried root that becomes a branch bearing fruit. He is the one who ensures that the silence that breaks into your story is not the end of your story. And he is the one who says that your life is too precious to replicate or replace and that all we have lost in our breaking is just as precious to him. And he will not rest until everything is resurrected and all is raised up. And everything good and holy and precious is restored in his new creation. And when we cry out, everything feels broken. Jesus answers the same patient care that made us. Yes. And that's why I'm here. Do not be afraid. Far more can be mended than you know. I promise. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.